This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. The Russian military intensified its attacks on the last holdouts in Mariupol while U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres tried to reach an agreement in principle with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, to evacuate civilians. AP correspondent Tim McGuire. Officials in Mariupol battered by Russian bombs, missiles, and tanks since the beginning of the war say the Russians hit a giant steel plant with some 35 airstrikes on the day United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres met with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Guterres saying after the meeting, both Russia and Ukraine need to work together to get the civilians out of the plant and the city. To enable the safe evacuation of those civilians who want to leave, both inside the Azovstal plan and in the city, in any direction they choose, and to deliver the humanitarian aid required. An estimated 2,000 Ukrainian troops and about 1,000 civilians have been inside the plant for weeks. The UN leader is to meet with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky on Thursday. I'm Tim McGuire. Officials in Poland and Bulgaria say Russia is suspending deliveries of natural gas to the country starting Wednesday. The cutoffs would be the first since Russian President Vladimir Putin announced last month that unfriendly foreign buyers would have to pay in rubles instead of dollars and euros. That demand came after sanctions were levied against Moscow over the invasion of Ukraine. Europe imports large amounts of Russian natural gas for residential heating, electricity, generation, and the fuel industry. The imports so far have continued despite the war. Polish and Bulgarian authorities say they do not anticipate restrictions on domestic gas consumption due to the cutoffs. More at voanews.com. This is VOA News. Russia has been removed as host of the 2023 World Championship in men's hockey. The tournament was to be played in Russian President Vladimir Putin's home city of St. Petersburg. The International Ice Hockey Federation cites concern for the safety and well-being of all participating players, officials, media and fans for the decision. It was the latest blow to Russia and its favored winter sports and the fallout from the country's war on Ukraine. Ice hockey's decision comes one day after Russia's signature annual international figure skating competition was pulled. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID-19. It's a sharp new reminder of the persistence of the highly contagious virus, even as the U.S. eases restrictions in a bid to revert to pre-pandemic normalcy. Neither U.S. President Joe Biden nor First Lady Jill Biden because it was considered a close contact of Harris in recent days. The White House says Harris has exhibited no symptoms. After consulting with her physicians, Harris is taking Paxlovid, the Pfizer antiviral pill. Harris was uh, will isolate her residence but continue to work remotely and will only return to the White House once she gets a negative test for the virus. A battle over the lifting of the COVID-19 health order is now building in Washington. We get more from AP correspondent Mike Gracia. Biden administration outlined a plan Tuesday to enforce U.S. immigration law without the use of Title 42, the pandemic public health order that prevents people from seeking asylum. The administration plan would increase federal personnel at the border. But on Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said... Pulling back the Title 42 authorities will only make it dramatically 
worse. McConnell said Senate Republicans will insist on a vote to keep Title 42 in place as an amendment to a new pandemic aid package. But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer warned... It's very risky for the health of the American people for them to be playing political games with it. Several Republican-led states have sued to block the administration from lifting Title 42 on May 23rd. Mike Gracia, Washington. A Japanese railway company, Tokyo, says that it now uses just solar and other renewable energy to power its sprawling train service. That means the emissions of carbon dioxide for its network of seven train lines and one tram service stand at zero starting April 1st. Recapping our top story, the Russian military intensified its attacks on the last holdouts in Mariupol. While U.N. Secretary Antonio General Antonio Guterres reached an agreement in principle with the Russian President Vladimir Putin to evacuate the civilians there. More at VOANews.com via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Wednesday, April 27th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedo Afo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Russia rains artillery on Ukraine's Donbass region as nations scramble to deliver more weapons to Kyiv. We're here to help Ukraine win the fight against Russia's unjust invasion. You should know that all of us have your back, and that's why we're here today, to strengthen the arsenal of Ukrainian democracy. Two U.N. agencies launched multi-billion dollar appeals to assist the soaring number of refugees from Ukraine. The worsening situation in Ukraine has prompted the U.N. Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, to double its initial $1.1 billion appeal. And Pakistani officials probe a bomb blast inside a university campus that killed three Chinese nationals. We have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. The U.S. and other nations are promising Ukraine the weapons it needs to repel the new offensive launched by the Kremlin as Russia rains artillery on the Donbass region, the Associated Press correspondent Jennifer King reports. Ukrainian officials say they need more weapons and fast. Germany announced it had cleared the way for the delivery of self-propelled anti-aircraft guns. Meanwhile, two months into the conflict, U.S. Secretary of State Lloyd Austin said more help is on the way. We're here to help Ukraine win the fight against Russia's unjust invasion. As he convened a meeting with defense officials from dozens of countries at Ramstein Air Base in Germany, Austin sought to reassure Kyiv. You should know that all of us have your back, and that's why we're here today, to strengthen the arsenal of Ukrainian democracy. I'm Jennifer King. German Defense Minister Christine Lambrecht said on Tuesday that Berlin has approved the delivery of Gepard anti-aircraft systems to Ukraine. She made her comments on the sidelines of an international meeting at Rammstein U.S. Air Base in Germany hosted by the United States. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who has faced criticism at home and abroad for his government's failure to deliver heavy weapons to Ukraine, has pledged the delivery of anti-tank and anti-aircraft weapons from German military stocks, which he described as, quote, defensive weapons, unquote. Two UN agencies are launching multi-billion dollar appeals to assist the soaring number of refugees from Ukraine and people displaced inside the country. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. 
The worsening situation in Ukraine has prompted the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, to double its initial $1.1 billion appeal. That appeal was launched soon after Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. Since then, OCHA estimates the number of people needing humanitarian aid inside Ukraine has increased from 12 million to 15.7 million. OCHA spokesman Jens Lajerke says his agency's revised appeal for $2.25 billion will assist 8.7 million of those worst affected people over the next six months. The appeal covers a range of support from cash assistance, food security and livelihoods, health, shelter, protection and water sanitation and hygiene, to mention some of the larger interventions. Continued international support will be essential to enable humanitarians in Ukraine to continue to reach those whose lives have been upended by the war. The UN Refugee Agency also has revised its initial appeal upwards. It now is seeking $1.85 billion to support a projected 8.3 million Ukrainian refugees and communities hosting them in eight neighboring countries of asylum. The number of expected refugees is more than twice the estimated figure of 4 million the UNHCR had predicted would need help when the war broke out. UNHCR spokeswoman Shabia Mantu calls the current situation highly dynamic and fluid. In just two months, she notes 5.2 million refugees have fled Ukraine in search of international protection. It's anyone's guess as to exactly when we will reach this 8.3 million figure, but if, if we're looking at the trend so far, this displacement has been on, uh, on such an expansive scale and the rapidity of this we haven't seen in recent times. So these displacements are still occurring every, every day, every hour we're seeing people continue to flee Ukraine. The appeals are being launched against the backdrop of continued fighting, destruction and displacement inside the country and flight to safer areas abroad. The UNHCR calls the human impact and suffering already caused by the war staggering. It warns the trauma of war will have a lasting impact on many forced to flee their homes, 90% of whom are women and children. It adds humanitarian needs will continue to grow. Displacement and the human tragedy will not cease until the war is brought to an end. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Al-Qaeda-linked militants in Mali say they have captured at least one Russian mercenary from the Wagner Group, a private military company which alleged links to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Annie Rosenberg reports from Bamako. Extremists linked to Al-Qaeda say in a statement they have abducted at least one Russian mercenary who they describe as a soldier of Russian Wagner forces. An Arabic version of the group's statement claimed they abducted one Russian fighter, who they called a criminal, while the French version said they had taken more than one. The statement also claims that Wagner forces took part in an operation in Mora, Mali, which it says killed hundreds of innocents. Several countries have accused Mali's military government of working with forces from the Wagner Group, a shadowy private company that has provided Russian mercenaries to several countries, including Libya, Syria, and the Central African Republic. The Malian government denies any links with the Wagner Group, saying it only works with official Russian trainers. The Mora military operation mentioned in the extremist statement was a subject of a report by Human Rights Watch. The report quoted witnesses who said white soldiers working with the Malian army killed 300 civilian men, some of them suspected Islamist fighters, during a five-day operation. 
On Saturday, the French army released a drone surveillance video, which they say shows mercenaries burying bodies in the sand near Gosi, Mali, where the French army withdrew from a military base last week. Similar video circulated on Twitter two days earlier and accused French forces of killing the people seen in the video. Speaking to AFP, the French military said the mercenaries staged the mass grave to tarnish the image of France. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. North Korea displayed its largest non-ballistic missiles at a nighttime military parade. During the event, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un vowed to continue developing nuclear capabilities at the, quote, fastest possible speed, unquote. More from VOA's Bill Gallo in Seoul, South Korea. The huge parade like Monday in Pyongyang's central Kim Il-sung Square was the latest demonstration of North Korea's military might. The parade featured some of the country's most advanced missiles, including its largest known ICBM. In a speech, Kim Jong-un warned any country that attempts military confrontation with North Korea will be destroyed. Last month, North Korea tested an intercontinental ballistic missile for the first time since 2017. U.S. officials expect another test soon. Many analysts expect North Korea will try yet again to create a sense of crisis to gain leverage for future nuclear talks with the United States. Bong Young-shik is a Seoul-based analyst. If Kim Jong-un is using the same tactic this year, then we have to wait until the end of this year with the expectation that Kim Jong-un is going to do everything to increase the military tension as high as possible and keep the security conditions on the Korean Peninsula as dangerous as possible as it did in 2017. In 2017, Kim and former U.S. President Donald Trump exchanged threats of nuclear war before Kim eventually decided to engage in a series of unprecedented talks. But the Trump-Kim negotiations broke down in 2019. Under U.S. President Joe Biden, North Korea has rejected or ignored invitations to return to talks. No matter how much political, economic and diplomatic incentives might be given to North Korean regime, there is no good way of reducing the obsession of the leadership in North Korea with nuclear warheads and long-range missiles as the best and the most reliable means of its own security and survival. North Korea has been systematically working through a wish list of strategic weapons laid out last year by Kim. The list includes tactical nuclear weapons, hypersonic missiles, and ICBMs that can carry multiple warheads. Bill Gallo, BOA News, Seoul, South Korea. Pakistan officials have launched a probe into an explosion that ripped through a van inside a university campus in southern Pakistan, killing three Chinese nationals and their Pakistani driver. A separatist militant group claimed responsibility and said the attack was carried out by a woman suicide bomber. The three killed Chinese include the director of the Chinese-built Confucius Institute, which offers Chinese-language graduate courses and two teachers. The Karachi police chief says closed-circuit television footage from the site of Tuesday's attack showed a person dressed in the female burqa, head-to-toe covering, walking up to the van, followed by an instantaneous explosion. For more investigations, I spoke with VOS Ayazgar. The Balochistan Liberation Army, an outlawed militant organization, in fact, the United States also has declared BLA as a global terrorist network. Uh, this group is operating primarily in southwestern Balochistan province, But this attack in the southern port city of Karachi is significant in a sense that not only that the group has come out of its traditional base where it has been operating for years, but it has targeted 
Chinese in the port city of Karachi with the help of a female suicide bomber, which is for the first time ever since this group emerged on the scene in Pakistan 20 years ago. They have certainly not only claimed responsibility, but they have released the picture of this purported uh, female suicide bomber sitting, waving this victory sign in this picture. And there's also another picture of her released by the group where she's sitting with her two children. Apparently, they are claiming that her husband was killed by Pakistani security forces, and this was sort of a revenge action on her part. So reports indicate that the authorities fear there may be more attacks, there may be more lone wolf attacks or more copycat attacks since they've started using female suicide bombers. That's a major concern now that we have heard of a Pakistani police in Karachi saying because it's very difficult to prevent a female suicide bomber from carrying out an attack because this is a conservative society, Islamic society, where women are out on the streets in these traditional burqas. So it's very difficult to detect suicide bombers if they're using these burqas. And if female is even without burqa, if walking on the street, you know, police or security forces rarely stop them and check them closely for obvious reasons because of the tradition compulsions here. So uh, that is a new trend. And obviously, you know, we saw the prime minister of Pakistan, Shehbaz Sharif, visiting the Chinese embassy in Islamabad today, assuring the Chinese diplomats that security will be enhanced of Chinese workers in Pakistan and that all efforts will be made to bring the perpetrators of this attack to justice. But again, these are simply claims, you know, there have been so many attacks and Pakistani officials to date have not been really able to arrest any of the planners of these attacks. Last week, the prime minister raised a security cordon around the former prime minister. And now this week, there's a suicide bomber, a female suicide bomber. Is there a connection or this is just a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence because we know from these regularly issued security advisories by federal ministries and provincial ministries that there have been at least 20 suspected suicide bombers who have entered to Pakistan from neighboring Afghanistan to carry out these kind of attacks. So now when we look at those advisories which were issued a couple of months ago threatening that there could be suicide bombings in Pakistan, apparently it has started happening And that is a fear, you know, that has been there. And with uh, this former Prime Minister Imran Khan holding these rallies, it raises now more concerns about security of those people who are participating in these rallies. And he has announced more rallies in coming weeks. So obviously, if you go by what happened today and those advisories that have been recently issued, definitely things may not be good for Pakistan and for people here in coming days. There are more attacks and we definitely see that there is a surge in attacks by the Pakistani Taliban who are based in Afghanistan against security forces. That's VOS Ayaz Gao speaking with me from Islamabad. In other news, workers put off fencing and police restricted who could live in lockdown area in Beijing on Tuesday. Authorities in the Chinese capital were stepping up efforts to prevent a major COVID-19 outbreak, like the one that has all but shut down the city of Shanghai. People lined up for throat swaps across much of Beijing as mass testing was expanded to 12 of the city's 16 districts. Another 22 cases were found in the last 24 hours, bringing the total to 92 since the outbreak was discovered five days ago. Fears of a total lockdown have been fed by disruptions in the supply of food, medicine, and daily necessities in Shanghai. 
For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at vonews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua in Washington. National security has become a key issue in Australia's federal election campaigns after China's controversial pact with a small Pacific island nation. Australia's Labour opposition unveiled Tuesday its plan to counter Beijing's growing influence in the region. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. China's new security accord with Solomon Islands, a Pacific archipelago northeast of Australia, has caused alarm in Canberra. The pact would allow Beijing to send armed forces to the islands to protect Chinese investments and maintain social order. Authorities in Solomon Islands have insisted that China would not be permitted to establish a permanent military base on their territory. However, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been accused of diplomatic incompetence over his government's failure to stop the agreement being signed. Australia is Solomon Islands' main aid donor and traditional security partner. As the country prepares to vote next month, the opposition Labour Party has outlined its plan to restore Australia's position in the region. There would be more money for aid, military training with island nations in the Pacific and surveillance flights. Labour's Foreign Affairs spokesperson Penny Wong told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that the initiative would boost Australia's standing with its neighbours. We will use the resources of government and apply ourselves to the job of government, which is to restore Australia's place as the partner of choice in the Pacific. And we do that because we understand in the face of Chinese increased assertiveness and aggression, one of the key ways in which you ensure Australia's security is to secure our region. And Mr Morrison has dropped the ball on that task. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has dismissed Labor's plan for the Pacific as farcical and said it showed the opposition didn't understand the challenges Canberra faces in the Pacific. National security has, because of China's pact with Solomon Islands, emerged as a key election issue, along with the economy and climate change. Australians vote in a federal poll on May 21. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. As the Taliban enter their ninth month in power in Afghanistan, thousands of Afghans continue to flee the country because of unemployment, poverty and fear of the future. VOA's Abdul Basir Inger brings us the story of price hikes in local markets of Shebagan during Ramadan. This story is narrated by Umid Uzokov. Since the Taliban took power in Afghanistan, unemployment and poverty have increased, and ordinary Afghans have been complaining about the harsh economic environment. Prices of produce, fuel and other items have risen even more during Ramadan. Residents say the Ukrainian conflict has also caused some of the price hikes in Afghanistan, as products have stopped coming from Russia, and the world's attention on Afghanistan has diminished. Atikullah Mateen, an Afghan economics graduate of Termes State University in Uzbekistan, now lives in London, believes both internal and external factors have put Afghanistan in a difficult situation. 
With the advent of the Taliban, hundreds of traders left Afghanistan and invested in other countries. Meanwhile, $7 billion of the country's funds are frozen in the United States. The factories are closed. As a result, thousands of people have lost their jobs. President Joe Biden signed an executive order in February dividing the $7 billion in frozen Afghan funds to assist humanitarian aid in Afghanistan and recompense victims of the September 11 terrorist attacks in the United States. With no employment or income in sight, thousands of Afghans continue to flee the country every day. For Abdul Basir Ilgar in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Umid Uzakov, VOA News. This is Science in a Minute. NASA has found eight of their science missions so successful, they've decided to extend them. Missions at the Red Planet, including Mars Odyssey, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, MAVEN, and the Mars Science Laboratory, known as the Curiosity Rover, got three-year extensions. The Mars InSight lander will be continued until the end of 2022 unless it can retain its electrical power to operate longer. The U.S. Space Agency also says the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter and New Horizons, which provided the first up-close images of Pluto, will continue for three more years. The mission of the asteroid explorer OSIRIS-REx has been extended for nine more years so that it can reach and explore its new destination, the near-Earth asteroid Apophis. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that U.S. diplomats will return to Ukraine this week, a move officials are characterizing as a strong message of solidarity from the United States. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. international edition on the voice of america on behalf of the entire production team thank you so much for listening visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com until next time i am chino in washington wishing you a great day An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Nearly two months into Vladimir Putin's brutal and unjustified full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and already the impacts of the war are being felt far beyond Ukraine's borders. Global food security in particular is increasingly at risk. Ukraine and Russia are both major agricultural producers, said Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman at a meeting of the U.N. Security Council. 30% of the world's wheat exports typically come from the Black Sea region, as does 20% of the world's corn and 75% of sunflower oil. 
The Russian Navy is blocking access to Ukraine's ports, reportedly preventing dozens of ships carrying food for the world market from reaching the Mediterranean, said Deputy Secretary Sherman. Russia has also bombed at least three civilian commercial ships sailing from Ukraine. Russian missiles and bombs have damaged and destroyed Ukrainian airports, rail lines, train stations, and highways that are critical for getting humanitarian aid to those who need it and for exporting wheat, corn, and other commodities. According to Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuliba, Russia is actively targeting grain silos and food storage facilities, said Deputy Secretary Sherman. All of these actions by Russia are creating a food crisis in Ukraine and well beyond Ukraine's borders. Already food prices are skyrocketing and low and in middle-income countries as Russia chokes off Ukrainian exports. Across the Middle East and Africa, already high prices for staple commodities, including wheat, have risen between 20 and 50 percent so far this year. We are particularly concerned about countries which rely heavily on Ukrainian imports to feed their populations, said Deputy Secretary Sherman. The World Food Program is already feeding 138 million people in more than 80 countries, from Ethiopia to Afghanistan, South Sudan to Yemen, Nigeria to Syria. But now, Putin's war is driving up the costs of providing food assistance. And the Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, estimates that as many as 13 million more people worldwide may be pushed into food insecurity as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ultimately, the only way to end this humanitarian catastrophe is through a durable ceasefire and the complete withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukrainian territory and away from Ukraine's borders, said Deputy Secretary Sherman. That decision lies with one man and one man only. Vladimir Putin started this war. He created this global food crisis, and he is the one who can stop it. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Washington, Papa Bozet, D.C.